0: As I engage with churches, there is this disconnect where churches are very suspicious of not only just people in the academy, but social scientists who are saying, well, let's think about this through a more organizational lens. So or let's think about this through the set of research that we have out there For some of those churches, it threatens the, the canopy that that God is mysteriously working behind the scenes in all of this. And I I have not won the argument yet to say, you know, like God works through the order.
1: Welcome to Where We Belong, a podcast where we dive into questions surrounding what it means to belong to a community of faith, how we do that well, and why it often feels so hard. I'm Lauren from Whitworth's Office of Church Engagement, and I'm excited to walk with you as we puzzle through big questions that a lot of us are asking about the church, about culture and about our place in the body of Christ. So if you are a church leader, a church skeptic, an all-in church member, or fall somewhere in between, I invite you to join us in these conversations as we wrestle with the truth that, whether we like it or not, we are claimed by the community of faith and it's where we belong. I am excited to introduce to you our guest for our conversation today, Dr. Mark Killian. He is an associate professor here at Whitworth University, and his specialty is urban religious ecology, sociology of religion. He describes his area of expertise as religious vitality of What is the church facing right now? What are the challenges she is facing? How do we think about the church being healthy and resilient from generation to generation? And you will see this in my conversation with him, but he is a committed follower of Jesus looking to apply his sociological lens in service of the church. He has been a wonderful partner. I've gotten to work with Mark quite a bit in some of my work with the Office of Church Engagement, um, supporting local churches. And you will get to hear just how sensitive and discerning he is, particularly when it comes to engaging with belonging and church in our unique time and context. You will hear Mark talk about his own experience as a church planter, which ultimately led him to study sociology, religion. I found this part fascinating. He also talks about factors to pay attention to when we think about the current state of the church and its future, especially in our American cultural landscape. So take a listen. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me today.
2: Hi. Thanks, Lauren. (laughs) Hi, of course. No, it's
1: always great to spend time with you. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your experience in the church or your story when it comes to being a part of the church.
0: Yeah, so I uh, grew up in a mainline United Methodist church. um, And then in high school, I got involved with Young Life. And so I had um, what I can now identify more correctly as a reaffiliation moment where I went from kind of this Mainline uh, Christian faith into uh, evangelical faith, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, spiritually, in that sense, I grew up then through high school and college through parachurch ministries.
2: Okay,
0: um, and uh, you know, spent good time with Young Life, was discipled through Navigators, played in the uh, the the crew, what used to be called Campus Crusade, the yes. crew band. So I was, you know. You were in it. A bit of everything. (laughs) Um, uh, And then uh, when I went to grad school for a master's, I had an opportunity to get involved with the church plant um, in the small little college town that I uh, lived in 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 Ohio. And um, so I stopped doing Young Life and started to work with this church plant. And it was very much kind of uh, there was a a uh, group of families who were planting this mm. church off of this, uh, off of a, one of the only evangelical churches in that small college town. And, um, so I, I viewed it as a, a kind of like an internship almost, okay, where, right, where I was learning a lot, gleaming a lot from mm-hmm. these families, and particularly from the pastor. Mm,
1: at this point, you weren't like, I'm going to be a church planter, no, like, that's not at
0: I'd all, be. yeah, no, not at all. I. I was again my master's in secondary social studies education. Yes, okay. Um, uh, but I, I, you know, I loved the church, and and I wanted to be part of something that was exciting and and, and new and growing, mm. and, and particularly I wanted to be uh, uh, labor co-laborers with the other people at that church. Um, and so, uh, so I was with that church. It was called Cobblestone Community Church. It still is operating. Um, for uh, about three years um, and that's I'd graduated I'd started teaching high school um, and at a, a private Christian school um, in Cincinnati Ohio and um, myself and uh, one of the other Bible teachers I was a social science teacher but one of the Bible teachers wanted had begun talking about planting a church um, and so long story short uh, I left Cobblestone to go plant this new church. It was much more of a project between me and this other guy um, uh, and his brother. And uh, that church took off. Um, Mm. We went from, um, you know, twenty at our first meeting to 900 two years later. Oh my gosh, yes. um, Now, what we were doing um, was, was really highly... Questionable, and I huh. questioned myself um, during that that planting process of like, what am I doing? What I I recognize that some of the things we were doing were not necessarily righteous. We're not necessarily mm. what I had learned in my first church planting experience. Okay. Um, There's a lot of dishonesty. Um, we were a lot. Of, we were trying to sell the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, you know, one of the examples is. Um, in Cincinnati, uh, the vineyard name, uh, the brand, had, was was highly recognized. And mm. um, and you
1: were this was a church plant affiliated with vineyard. Well,
0: it was in the sense that, you know, in order to be a, a vineyard association church, you had to have a sponsor vineyard church uh, as well as a uh, pay two percent of your budget. Okay, uh, And so we're like, okay well, that's two percent of our budget to get the name. Um, and so we had a sponsored Vineyard church. Mm. We never went to any vineyard association meetings. We never we just wanted the name. Yes. We wanted the brand.
2: yes. Okay.
0: Um, and so in that sense we were engaging in something called the religious economy. Mm. Now what that means is this is that churches, because we in uh, the United States, uh, churches are unregulated. Right. Due to the Constitution, we have the uh, the no establishment clause and the free exercise clause. Right. So the government won't establish religion and people can freely exercise mm-hmm. religion. So th- what that means is that there's no regulation for churches. Mm. Um, you could, we know this, go and start a church anytime you want. You can yep. be a high school teacher uh, and go and say, I want to start a church with mm-hmm. my friends. <laughs> and you can do that.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but. What that. Has caused is for different churches in order to gain a following, right? To get people to join, they have to provide religious goods and services. They have right. to work within that economy. So we were doing that. We, you know, we were the um, in golly, two thousand four, two thousand. Let's see, maybe before that. I forget now. Early two thousand. Early odds. We were the the church that was the, the next young, hot uh-huh. upcoming. We were getting people in. We were very specific about um, um, who we had up front. And, um, you know, we were very uh, behind the scenes, talked about we're not gonna allow any unattractive people on the mm-hmm. stage, right? Because we wanted mm-hmm. to engage that economy. Uh, our first hire was a, a, a part-time children's pastor because we were planting in a growing suburb with lots of kids. So we Mm -hmm. had to have somebody to organize that because we didn't have a children's ministry, families weren't gonna come. But our second second hire and our first full-time hire was uh, a um, movie producer uh, (gasps) to produce our worship experience. Okay, yes. um, So, I mean, those are the types of things that we, we did. Looking back at that, well, even at the time I'm going, this
1: is not. This is not good. Uh, you felt that a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, yep. it was.
0: It was totally. Um, wow. It was just very explicit that what we were doing was not kingdom oriented as yes. much as it was. We wanted just to be the, you know, we wanted you the right riding book deal. the
1: crest of your success. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So long story short, um, there was a big blow up, um, as those things typically happen for those types of yes, churches. Yes, they do. Um. I left. I started going to a um, a former uh, mega church that had been declining over multiple years. Mm-hmm. It was a Presbyterian Church, PCUSA church, um, and um, found a lot of healing and, um, at that wow. church. That so it was kind so of the that. opposite of where I was. Yes, uh, absolutely. But what what that did, what that experience did, is it um, it. Led me to like, why was this happening? Because in my evangelical mind, it was, hey, if you do good, you get good, but we weren't doing mm-hmm. good, but we were getting, well, good. Were getting people, good. People, were, people were coming the door. Uh, yeah. Um, and so that, I had a lot of questions about that, and so that led me into this literature that um I had kind of tangentially touched on. I'd always, you know, wanted. Uh, I'd started a class in sociology at the high school I taught at. I'd always wanted to know more I took a couple of sociology classes uh, even after my master's Um, but really this area called sociology of religion uh, that talked Mm -hmm. about the religious economy pretty explicitly I I found a lot of um, understanding about my experience from that literature Um, Uh so there's there's a number of of books um, uh, that I read another of, of academics that I read that was like, oh, this is what this is what we were doing. This is, this what is why working. it was working. This is why it was working. Uh. Yeah, this is what was going on there. Um, and so that that really helped me, and um, to the point where it's like, okay, I, I need to leave my job, go full time into a PhD program yeah. to study this, in order then for for me to get this information and this set of knowledge and these sets of skills that I can take back to churches and say, okay, let's think about these things, but in righteous wow. ways, not in wow. ways that's going to play the market, so to speak, but in ways that are going to really build up and edify the kingdom. Wow. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of the, the brief history to where I am. Today.
1: Oh, I love it. No, thank you for sharing all of that. That's yeah. so, what I wonder is somebody, you know, more of an outside, I don't, I don't know a lot about sociology of religion or mm-hmm. scholars in that field did you sense, I mean, it sounds like you sensed a need. Were there many people at this time or sociologists doing this type of work? Because it seems like in some sense, you could look at the data and say, oh, this is why it's working. This is why our methods were working. Let's keep doing that. But you specifically said, I want to do this with a kingdom mindset, right? Yeah. Like, were there many people at the time thinking about sociology and service of the church in that way?
0: No, well, there's, there's always been some of that, but not. Not in that regard, it's you know um it, it's funny, you have these you know, on one hand, I'm in this academic world, and my problem with the academic world is that it's we we write for each other, yeah, I had this conversation at a recent annual conference where this well-known she she was the president of our association uh super intelligent, super smart um well published, and she's like, five people read my stuff." Yeah, you know
1: the audience is the small. audience is uh-huh. so small and
0: it's like why do i do that yeah,
1: there's scholars in my field
0: yeah. yeah and it's like is this is this work worth it and so i i kind of fight against that um where i don't want to write and do work just for my association for the a thousand people that exist in my association mm-hmm. At the same time uh I, I as i engage with churches there is this disconnect where churches are very suspicious of, of um, not only just people in the academy but social scientists who are saying, "Well, let's think about this through a more organizational lens, or well, mm-hmm. let's think about this through this set of research that we have out there." Um, yes, uh, feels foreign. It feels foreign, mm-hmm. and and it, 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 in mm-hmm. some way um, for some of those churches it threatens the the canopy that that God is mysteriously working behind the scenes in all of this.
1: Right. So and if there are reasons, organizationally or culturally, yes, that's not the spirit. That's somehow.
0: not the spirit mm-hmm. somehow. And I, I have not won the argument yet to say, you know, like God works through the order, yes. right? Um, that um, that there is this, you know, set of uh, organizational processes that are important for us to to engage in so that we can understand then how, yeah, God has is working through that order and God is working through the plan and the Holy Spirit's very much still active it just happens to be through these processes mm-hmm. um, as opposed to some sort of you know in my skeptical way of saying magical you know yes apparatus that somehow turns churches from 20 to 900 it's like mm.
1: Yeah. Are we going to automatically say it just means the spirit right. has blessed us and right. so we're growing? Right. Yes.
0: It might happen. Yes. Right. But those are the outliers. Right. And most churches are going to be like the one that I was planting,
2: uh-huh.
0: working within the boundaries of those processes and seeing the the results of it.
1: Uh, well, this, I mean, this is why I love to work with you, especially <laughs> because your story has influenced so much of the work you do with churches and you come as a fellow Jesus follower right. looking to serve the church with what you know yeah. i imagine that as a participant as somebody who you know maybe is a part of a church or who attends a church um, it, it you would have all these bells going off right of like oh i noticed this and and that feels like that could be a problem or i noticed this they're tapping into this thing that is helping them grow or maybe they're not thinking about being resilient in this way how do you navigate being sort of at that intersection of this is my field. I'm an observer. Like I I know the things Mm -hmm. and I also belong to this. I I care about this. I'm also somebody who, you you know, locates myself within this body. How how do you navigate that tension?
0: uh, I'll use a golfing analogy. I'm not a golfer. Okay. Um, So here's the analogy, right? When I, uh, I have, uh, will say an uncle and the uncle is a really good golfer and I go out golfing with the uncle and I'm horrible. Like the uncle will be like, I'm not going to tell you anything. If you want to ask me about your swing, I'll give you some pointers. Uh If you want to ask me about your putt, I'll give you some pointers. If you want to ask me about, you know, okay, but I'm not, I'm, I'm just here. I'm just going to play. And I feel the same way with churches Mm -hmm. that I, you know, attend, what the church I attend is, um, uh, hey, I'm here. I'm willing to step in do a Sunday school. I'm willing to step in and talk to mm. to session. I'm willing to or, or governance bodies, um, but uh, I'm not going to put my foot in it because. And here's the, uh, I. There always runs this risk of the church that I'm part of of it then becoming, like a, my initiative. Well, this is yes. Mark's thing that he's doing in this church. Uh-huh. So I don't. I don't want that. I want it to be the church.
2: Yeah, that. so i a part
0: of that. Um, so I have you know, um, you know, taught some Sunday schools and did some programming here and there, and um, you know, met with uh, the governing body, but I uh, I also just want to go and worship, yes, you know, and to be frank, yeah. um, my family is takes precedent over my my uh, vocation, yes, um, and so. Part of what I do at church is just simply like make sure that my kids are staying awake and um that they're not like beating <laughs> yeah. each other up in the, in the pew. So, you know. Right.
1: And <laughs> it's not, I imagine it's not necessarily that you turn all of that off. Like, no. it's not like you, you can sort of dissociate those parts of your personality, but you recognize that that's not your work to always be clinical in that setting. Exactly. I kind of think about studying theology in the same way of, yeah. you know, I'm also a part of this and I can, I yeah. can dissect it, but also there becomes a point where... i I sit in it too i sit under it
0: exactly yeah i think that's a good you sit you just sit under it and Mm. yeah you might hear somebody who's like "Mm, that theology is a little off," but yeah that's okay right i don't need to jump into that
1: right Right. this is not necessarily my and you probably feel that too like i don't need to be the one to say right hi this is what your church is doing let's stop everything and right exactly yeah yeah Yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dive into a little bit about, about your expertise. Yeah. Tell me, so when you think about, in this podcast, we're kind of exploring, what does it mean to be a part of the church, to belong to the church? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the work that you do is looking at trends when it comes yeah. to how the church is faring kind of right now. How, how do you, from your sociology of religion lens, how do mm-hmm. you think about or measure or evaluate things like belonging in yeah. church?
0: Yeah, well, okay. So let me start with this. Um, you know, when we think about church, really, we have to think about, you know, three a, a process, a three-phase process in general terms. There could be nuances to these, this process, but in general terms, you have to think about people joining a church, people staying at the church, and people belonging to a church.
2: Mm.
0: Now, there are lots of churches who... Have a lot of joiners, but the stability of the church could, you know, be questionable. Um, the resiliency as we engaging could be really questionable. If you have a hundred joiners in a year, uh, but then ninety nine leave the next year, I mean, you have one person sticking around. Mm-hmm. That's that's unstable. Um, the same time, you can have a church that has a hundred belongers. But no joiners, right? And so over time, those belongers who are committed to that church, they are there for the long haul. They're, it's great. The church is going to survive for that generation. But after that generation, as they start to yes. die off, you know, if there's no joiners. Then that church becomes unstable.
2: Mm-hmm. In
0: between, you have the stayers, right? They're not they're not joiners. They've been around for a little bit, um, but they're not belongers. They can mm-hmm. easily leave at any moment. And so you have churches that are built on the stayers. And basically what those churches have to do at times is just maintain the stayers. They're not belongers, they're not fully committed to the church lifelong. Huh. They're just coming and they can easily leave. And so you find this particularly with mega churches or or now the giga churches, the 10,000 uh, people attendance churches, where they're just all about the stayers. How do we keep them staying? We want to yes, keep them staying. Yes. Uh, which is why a lot of mega churches don't become political, because they don't want to leave, because it's so it's such an easy exit. Right. They have lots of joiners. They have stayers. They don't have belongers. They don't have people who are lifelong uh,
2: connected to the okay. church,
0: um, not in the same proportion. Sure. Right. So I, I want to kind of set up that process. Churches who will be resilient, who are thinking generation to generation to generation. And resilient, not in the sense of just getting people in the pews, resilient for the mission. And that's something that I, I preach you a lot. do, right? yes. Yeah, think about the mission. What's the mission of the church? Mm. Now, most churches, in order to accomplish the mission, need people to join the mission, need people to stay to complete the mission, yeah. and then see themselves belonging to that mission. Mm. So, um, so having said that, right, that process, uh, what we there's this big debate in the literature about changes in religion religion is not going to go away uh, you know unlike the the secularization uh, theories from the late 60s early 70s um that said the religion's gonna die yeah it's not it, it's an institution it's like government it's just it's here it's, mm. it's it's our it's our ontological institution it's where humans get their sense of purpose and and essence of being Um, but religion changes and that's the key thing where as religion changes those changes might feel like it's dying it's just shifting and changing okay so there are some people who argue that all the real changes in religion happen from these larger structural conditions okay I'll get to those some of those larger conditions here in a minute others argue that changes in religion happen on the ground, happen within people, whether it's beliefs or behaviors. My project and what I've been trying to do is say, no, that we have to think of these, these two, that what we call the downward conflation, those larger structures and the upward conflations, the um, religious experiences of people, that these two things are happening at the same time.
2: Mm.
0: And they're happening, uh, uh, in a reciprocal fashion, right? You can't really, it's not a chicken or the egg. It's like the both and. So for example, one of the big uh, uh, kind of macro structures that is influencing religious change is fertility.
2: This is something you've heard me talk about. Right.
0: Um, Often we look at religion in the United States, particularly Protestant Christianity in the United States around the nineteen fifties, middle of the twentieth century, and we go, golly, that was such a great time of evangelism. <laughs> that was a time of explosive, okay, fertility. Yes, that's the baby boom. Yes, and so if you have a larger population or growing population, you got
1: you're church. going to get more people in church. Right.
0: You put any church plant. This is from um, uh, an author named Nancy Ammerman. Put any church plant in a growing suburb, the church is going uh-huh. to grow. Right? Mm-hmm. Because you have more people there. Um, and so, what has happened is um, uh, research has shown that churches that have higher fertility rates, you need a fertility rate of two to reproduce a parental couple, right? One child for the, the female, one child for the male. Um, in order to, uh, to grow, you need a fertility rate of above 2 right so uh, an example the the LDS church has a fertility rate of above from 3 yeah. it's been declining the last decade so they're still growing right
1: mm, because these children are being born into the church they're being assuming born... they stay in the church or right. acculturated in the church and the church right.
0: grows right and that's uh well so what what has happened is that you know nationally the fertility rate dropped below 2 again in the early 2000 aughts um, and uh, in mainline churches the fertility rate dropped below two in the 20th century in the 1990s now we're seeing uh, in the last decade the fertility rate of evangelicals drop below mm. two so frankly there's just not as many um, uh, people who would enter into the church naturally
2: yes. and families
0: and that's not even to say that Yeah, you're right in the sense that we can't count every child who is born into a church family to end up in the church. So, um, you know, rule of thumb, kind of very approximately, it's about three out of every four children end Mm -hmm. up in the church. Now, interesting. Now you have less than two children, right? You're maybe talking about one. Yeah. That's a huge, that's a huge plunge. Mm -hmm. So, that's one of those, you know, those. Macro structures downward, uh, you know, uh, uh, conflation processes that are really stressing churches out, um, mm-hmm. because there's just not the uh, uh, the same numbers from generation to generation entering into the church, um, on the ground, however, right? So that's kind of one of those macro structures yeah. on the, the what we might call the micro structures and religious experiences of people. We also see changes, Um, and a lot of those changes move away from the, uh, particularly, and this is particularly true for evangelical churches, move away from the evangelical ways of being. What do I mean by that? I mean that there are certain um, um, behaviors, values, logics, or trains of thought that have dominated Particularly late twentieth century evangelicalism, um, and some of that more recently, uh, as um, Andrew Whitehead and, and Sam Perry pointed out, have been conflated with politics. Right, yeah. and there is a lot of you know a lot of good history there about how that has happened. Um, but there are individuals who are saying, well, "Wait a second, I don't, I don't think I need to have that." That uh, logic or that that train of thought mm-hmm. in order to be a Christ follower. I don't need to think of politically in this way, or I don't need to think theologically in this way to okay. be a Christ follower. Yeah. Um, and what that that amounts to is kind of this idea that you know the, there isn't one Christianity right there's multiple christianities mm-hmm. uh, and ways of being um, and so there's a there's a number of individuals who are saying, well. I don't, I don't belong in that evangelical group anymore because I don't have that way of being. I don't have that logic or that set of behaviors, or um, I see it very differently. And yet, I can't find another uh, community to belong to. Or um, uh, uh, so kind of
1: in limbo. It, yeah, it's it's yeah
0: kind of this, these yeah liminal spaces. That now, having said that, um, there are we see this happening on the the landscape where you have these little, um, what I call craft churches, some people call micro churches, right? These house churches that are very much trying to cater to those individuals who are, mm. you know, don't find a home in that that evangelical congregation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, but um, those tend to be pretty small and really hyper localized. Yeah. Um, so, Say so, so all that so there's changes kind of in you know, the lived experience, and there's changes in the the macro the structures. structures. So that means that religion is changing. Yeah. And what churches have to do is adapt to that change. Yeah. And that's hard.
1: Well, thing I was going to say that's the question of the that's hour, That's the question right? of the hour, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. So, yes. I mean, as you're thinking about how you might, you you know, the data you're aware of these ma- macro and micro changes that are happening. As you're talking with pastors or maybe even people who are just in that kind of liminal space of I don't know how to belong. What yeah. is there advice that you give them or encouragement you give them in terms of adapting to to where we are now?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things and again, this isn't a, a, a popular idea, um, but I think it's an idea that um, particularly if you're within denominations, it's going to be easier. Or the denomination to work as opposed to uh, independent churches, mm-hmm. but it's the idea of consolidation, right? Um, is it worth having the two services if fifty people are coming to sure. both services? For sure, I mean that's consolidated yeah. that into one. Yeah. Um, if you have again within a, a denomination more likely, but also you can you know associations of independent churches. You know, if you have uh, uh, denominational churches that at one point served really good purposes, right, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, when these growing suburbs and you wanted to have a church that people could walk to and the bell actually met something and, hey, five minutes before church begins. And, hey, now the the bell's ringing again at church, so you better get here. Like that served a purpose at that time. Now, um, it, with the you know generational changeover in those neighborhoods, those churches have receded quite a bit. Mm. Um, not only just in terms of attendance, but in terms of outreach and mission. And I think it needs. On one hand, there needs to be conversations of okay, should we consolidate? Should we mm. direct those neighborhood churches back into city church? Um, so I think again. It's, those are hard adaptations, right. um, uh, but I think uh, it's it's something to begin to think about, to pray about, um, and, and to possibly envision as mm-hmm. well. Now, in terms of um, some of the actual practices of the church, um, you know what we're finding is that mega churches and giga churches are still attracting people. And what's happening is that, particularly after COVID, now um, individuals who might have stayed at a church for a while, even maybe even belonged, um, mm. but that the COVID disruption,
1: right, you know, right. drew them
0: away, and now they're looking at it, going, "Golly, I used a lot of my energy
1: yes. at that church, absolutely."
0: And you know, this church is, you know, theologically not all that different from the mega church down the road. My kids really like the mega church because mm-hmm. they have the playground.
1: Maybe it doesn't demand quite as much it of doesn't me, demand
0: is that what you'd say? Quite yeah, as much. Yeah. So easy entrance right, Yes, to the mega church. And so mega churches and giga churches are still growing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They're the one set of churches that are still growing. But but in terms of their proportionality to all the churches in the United States, they're relatively small. we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, less than five percent.
1: Wow, okay
0: um, so, uh, so those those churches are still gaining people. Um but again it's a lot of stayers. Not most,
1: necessarily those belongers. Not necessarily, necessarily the belongers,
0: life. right? Okay. So one yeah. of the things that mega churches are finding, particularly if they were hit that mega church. And by the way, mega church, I should just say, rule of thumb, two thousand attenders okay. on a given Sunday. Okay. So that's kind of the rule of thumb. Um but if you, if mega churches kind of hit that mark in the 80s and 90s, now we're a generation later, and they're the ones that are struggling to keep up. You know, they have these yeah. huge buildings now, huge platforms, and the stairs are exiting because they're going to the right. next mega church. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. So,
0: um, so, but in general, mega church. It's the smaller churches, both, uh, um, particularly I shouldn't say both, but Particularly evangelical, that are really struggling now to keep stayers and belongers, mm-hmm. um, and and even to get joiners to to, to come. It's those nice. mid-range five hundred people churches. The mainline churches have always had that. They've had that for a couple decades now, so they're kind of just used to it. Okay. Um, and if anything, there is um, you know Public Religion Research Institute issued a report. It was 2021, 2020, that shows a little uptick in average attendance. In Mainline. Or, in Mainline. Yes. Um, so uh, I don't know if there's much to make of that necessarily other than, you know, it's really those those mid-range evangelical churches that are under the most threat right now. Mm. Um, and uh, um, so, uh, golly, I forgot where I was going with all of this. <laughs> I get going about churches and I
1: been, and there's so much there. Yeah. No, oh, i go remember, ahead.
0: I remember. Um, so what do you do? Right? Yeah. What do you do? And, you know, in terms of church practice, um, I do think there, uh, you'll see more of this. I don't have the, the I'm not a, you know, I, I'm not a fortune teller and I can look into some sort of crystal ball and say, do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be okay,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? But I, I I, do think this, you have to have a very defined mission, right? What is your mission?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How does your mission, how does it work within the landscape of religious organizations within your community? You know, how does it fit within the economy? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what are you doing to live that mission out? Mm-hmm. And I think in that sense, there are some churches who can very much have declining attendance but but the attendance isn't as important as the mission. And so we're yeah. going to live out the mission. Now, having said that, that does not mean that your church is going to survive 20 years. Yeah. Right? There might be a time it's like, hey, we lived out the mission. We have five people left. It's time to shut down.
2: Yeah.
0: Um and so that's why you know, you you want to have the mission upfront. Mm. What is god calling your church to Mm. to do to be to you know to say but that that's foremost but you don't want to also ignore who's coming who's joining who's staying who's belonging
1: right well and i imagine too i mean when you think about an individual attending a church maybe it's harder to measure and how they would describe their own sense of belonging Feeling like you could articulate, yes, like I belong to this community. This is our mission. This is what we're doing. That would I, I'm a part of that. I have sort of a stake in that. Mm-hmm. That's where you find that true belonging right. is when, I mean, it seems to me, is yeah. when you have a church that's clear about their mission. Yeah. And you've got people drawn to that because they can locate themselves within yeah. that mission.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, here's, here's a good example um, of a church that I'm close to here in town. Uh, it's one of the only churches that one of their values is intergenerational ministry. Okay. And so what they've had to learn is how to do that very explicitly because one say, one thing to say you could say you're a lot of things. We're, uh-huh. yeah we're intergenerational in that we have you know you know uh, you know 65 and above going to this service mm-hmm. and then 65 and below going into this service, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's another thing to say. No, we're going to actually connect the generations, mm. and so they consolidated. They went down to one service, particularly after COVID. Um, they uh, are very intentional to include uh, senior voices up front, and what that does, and, and also to to encourage seniors uh, to engage, you know, uh, in discipleship opportunities with younger families. Um, so they have a very active MOPS group, uh, which is mothers of mothers preschoolers. preschoolers, yeah, yeah uh-huh. and which involves this mentorship, you know, um, element, um, and what that what that does is, you know, particularly given that um, uh, lots of young adults are moving to cities with no families, right? Yeah. So, for example, myself, I, I live in a city, I have no family besides my own mm. immediate nuclear family. Right, that creates these fictive uh, uh family relationships like fictive grandparents mm. right and so uh, my son calls uh, a, a member of our church um, who's older he's probably in his 80s, you know uh, grandpa um, oh my gosh I yeah love grandpa that. Rob you know and and it is it's one of these things where it's um uh, don not Rob. I should Grandpa Don, he knows you know? yourself, yeah, right. <laughs>
2: Uh
0: and and it is. It's like, all right, and Don will show up to my son's soccer games, and it's oh, you no, know, it's not gosh. like a overwhelming. Like, hey, I'm here all the time, but it is kind of like, hey, there's this sense of connectedness there you know, mm. across the generations. That's living into the mission, and um, and that not that that will necessarily be this this again magic bullet for the church to bring in all mm. these people, but That church, they just have to think about resiliency of the mission. How do we keep enough people in the mission going from one generation to the next?
1: Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, A last question for you, and you touched on it maybe a little bit, but kind of back to your own personal experience. When Mm -hmm. is a time where you have felt like the church was where you belonged?
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I've always felt... That i belonged well i shouldn't say that i mean going back to church planting my really entered church work i kind of left that parachurch world and i always felt like i belonged okay. in churches um whether or not some churches thought i belonged with them you know that's another that's a totally <laughs> different story um but i i do i i feel as though um uh, you know i've been blessed and fortunate to get this education and then to use this in ways that will hopefully again edify the church um and uh obviously when i was church planting i felt very much like this is it yeah. this is where i'm going to be and uh, that that wasn't the case when i was uh again at that dying uh you know pc usa church i felt like oh this is this is where we could be um, and then we had to move um for Mm -hmm. this job uh uh and so I, i do think that um there have been times where i felt like i belong now one of the um where i'm at right now um with churches with my with my church um is is kind of in this like as we come out of covid um it the the um Drive an initiative on our part isn't quite there to yeah you're to, not alone yeah, yeah to get back into that regular mode I, I would say that the last couple months we've been a little bit more regular mm-hmm. um, um, but uh, and it's not like there's this you know I, you know in some cases I think there are people who have experienced trauma in church and have kind of like I don't want anything to do with it. That's not me at all. I I love the church. I want to build up a church. It's more of a uh a slight apathy to be like, oh, I gotta get back, you know. And it's not like we're sitting at home eating pancakes either. It's like typically it's like, oh, well, we got this kid's sporting event, so we'll we'll go to yeah, that you know. Going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there are some people who are thinking like, Okay, yeah, how you know, COVID was an interruption was an interruption and how can we you know engage church again but maybe i don't know i don't know if i want you know and so there's this kind of this questioning yes. and um and so we're we're kind of in that spot now mm-hmm. one of the the new areas and this is where i i'm going to get a little sociological for my personal uh is this idea of networks and then one of the Growing areas of research is around church networks and how networks are really important to get people into belonging. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like one of the things that mega churches started to do that other churches have copied, small churches have copied is the small group, and the small group was a very intentional way of creating a interpersonal network, mm-hmm. a friendship network, a um, caring network where we get what we call um, bonding social capital, supportive. Um, information supportive capital, people who will bring you meals when you're sick, people who care for you, who, you know, there could be some trading of, of resources around, you know, childcare or whatever it might be. Um, and those networks, I think, have done a lot to create belonging. With COVID, what happened? Those networks got disrupted mm-hmm. because it was no longer, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to church. It was a risk to go to small groups. Yeah. It was a risk to keep those yeah. those relationships. Uh, so even just this morning, I mentioned earlier how I, um, uh, prior to our recording how I met with uh, a friend who I was in a Bible study with. And I really haven't talked to him since 2020. Wow. You know? yeah. So that was a network that got disrupted. Yes. And so I think there's some of those disruptive networks, disrupted networks because of COVID, that are really kind of, people are now saying, hmm I can see so-and-so apart from church, right? or maybe I haven't seen so-and-so in a long time. So I don't know if I invest energy back right. into that relationship. Right. So I think those are some of the things that are happening. Now, this is all speculative. I'm not saying this is, I'm hypothesizing here, um, but I I, I I, can see where some of those disrupted networks are causing people uh, to be hesitant to fully return.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Well, thank you, thank you for sharing a bit about your experience and for being honest too. I mean, part of it is describing the struggle, and those disruptions are real. And I think you you do a good voice of sort of calling the church to to think about those things. And oh, that can thanks. be really hard. How do we adapt? Mm-hmm. Um, again, in a you do that in a way that's so clearly you know, with that kingdom vision you mentioned. I mean, God God is ultimately in control of all of this, right. and how does the church? adapt to those cultural changes, help people feel like they belong, help people understand the call of God, but also recognize the research and the tools that we have to do that. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. It's been a joy to talk. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mark. I know I so appreciate his honesty when it comes to how hard it is to find a place to belong. But with Mark, I love how he pairs that with his hope uh, that in light of all the challenges that the forms of church we know are facing, he still holds fast to this view of God as unifier of the church and its potential in light of who God is. And this conversation reminded me of a beautiful excerpt uh, by Archbishop Oscar Romero, another fellow brothers of ours, brother of ours in Christ. He lived in 1970 to 1980. He served in El Salvador, and his words on the church and her resiliency are, I think, particularly helpful and encouraging in light of this conversation. So here are the words from Oscar Romero. It would seem that the church, after 20 centuries of so many persecutions and so much fury directed against her, should have already disappeared. In El Salvador, it should have been wiped out. But the dynamism and the strength of the church is not in us human beings who can be very fragile and very sinful. I am not surprised when people criticize me because of my sins. I know that I'm sinful. Who isn't sinful? Those who look at the speck in another's eyes so often forget the beam that's in their own. They should first remove the beam from their own eyes, the dung from their own vision, so they don't look upon others with the same blurred vision. We must have this perspective. The church as a human institution would simply not continue in existence, but the church persists because she is composed of people who place their fragile trust in Christ. And Christ is in God. And God is in Christ and in us. There is a current that travels from earth to heaven through Christ. And through Christ, it comes back down to earth, bringing with it the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, and the spirit of strength. May that same spirit of strength guide you deeper into Christ and deeper into the community of Christ today. If you found this conversation helpful Feel free to like, subscribe, share it to others who you think might want to join the conversation. You can always add your voice to the things that we're already talking and thinking about by commenting or engaging with us at our Instagram, which is at OCE Whitworth, or you can always find us online at whitworth.edu OCE. We look forward to seeing you again next week as we dive further into where it is that we truly belong. See you next time.